0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of These Lads Are Mental. Today we've got the amazing Dean Clifford. I mean, this guy's story is just absolutely phenomenal. It's a pleasure, to be honest, for for myself and Gary to be able to even speak to this guy, learn about his story. And I know the word inspiration is thrown around a lot, but this guy really is a true inspiration to us. He has carried the Olympic torch. He's an award winner. He was born with this condition called epidermalis bullosa. I probably haven't pronounced that correctly, or EB, it's called the Deborah Foundation is the charity organization that supports people with this. And it's a very rare skin condition. So Dean has been battling that almost from birth. And he's now in his mid 40s. And it's just a phenomenal story. He was only given a couple of years to live. And rather than have any resentment or bitterness towards that, what he's done is he's actually flipped it on his head and he's really put things into perspective. So this truly is a story to delve into and listen to. He's got documentaries on YouTube that you can dive into. He's all across media, and now he's a motivational speaker. So he's speaking to businesses and governments and schools and everybody sharing his story about how you can turn whatever your scenario is into something that's positive. So please, please, please listen or watch this episode. It will definitely be worth it. Enjoy.
1: How you doing? Nice to meet you, mate.
0: Gary, did we get, was there a hat memo, was it? that?
1: hat memo, I got it.
0: My wife always says that to me. She says, you always dress like me. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Every time I put on an outfit, you subconsciously put on the exact same outfit and then she gets annoyed and then has to change. I promise we didn't coordinate this, Dean, but that's how <laughs> kindred, kindred spirits Gary and I are.
2: No, I love it. Yeah, I can run, run and grab one of my hats if you want. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Welcome to These Lads Are Mental. How are you going, Dean?
2: Yeah, going along really good, thanks.
0: Great. And where are you dialing in from today?
2: I'm in my home, in my office here in Brisbane.
0: Nice, nice. And is that Albany Creek? Is that right? Yeah, it
2: is, yeah.
0: Aha, uh-huh, aha. Uh-huh. The reason why, Gary, you might laugh at this, uh, there's a footballer we know called Ryan Shaughnessy, who we played with then in Sydney. That's how Gary and I know each other. Unfortunately, he came into my life about six or seven years ago. I can't get rid of him. But uh, Ryan moved to, to Brisbane and he was playing. Is there a soccer team, Albany Creek? Am I right? Yeah, there is. Yeah. Yeah, he he was playing for them and he was scoring loads of goals. And he's still here as well. So there you go. There's
2: a Only good people live in Albany Creek.
0: <laughs> are you a sportsman? What's your code? We've got lots to choose from here in Australia, but what's your number one sport?
2: Yeah, definitely rugby league. Bad growing up in the country, Queensland, was all rugby league. and So, yeah, Broncos and Queensland State of Origin team and Australia, my three teams that I follow closely.
0: Yeah, yeah. Brisbane actually had, because yeah, it's difficult for me. I've been in New South Wales for the last 10 years, but... Brisbane had a pretty good year this year. I know they lost in, was it three finals? The league, the women's, and what was (laughs) it? Oh, the footy Uh, AFL. The
2: AFL, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, I actually went to the Gabba maybe two games before the final series, and it's an epic stadium there. I presume you've been there.
2: Yeah, I've been there quite a few times. I've even uh, been lucky enough to speak there in the members' lounge area there. Many years ago, it's an awesome setup they've got in there.
0: Yeah, it's a great state. Have you been there, guys?
2: No, I've not been there. I've never been
1: to any of the stadiums in Brisbane, actually.
0: No, yeah, okay. It's, I don't know, mate, is it like 40,000 seater, maybe smaller than that, even? Um,
2: yeah, I think it... it's about 40, 42,000, if I him who serves. Yeah,
0: yeah, but it's one of those stadiums where almost no matter where you are, you, you feel like you're, you're pitch side, like, and It's just that lovely oval shape and it was a gorgeous night the the day we did it as well. But maybe next year, maybe this year, this is the year for the Brisbane teams to come through. It's it's a pretty good segue. Look, Gary and I have enjoyed getting to know you well in the background. But for anyone that doesn't know you, Dean, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Where do you come from? What do you do? Who is Dean?
2: Yeah, so I was born in a very small country town in uh, Queensland here called Kingaroy, about two and a half hours or so north of Brisbane. And a very unique story in the fact that after about six or so hours after birth, then I started to develop a few small blisters and wounds on my back and on my legs, and then it took over twelve months before I was properly diagnosed as having one of the worst known versions of uh, epidermolysis bullosa, which is an extremely rare genetic skin condition. It's ex very rare, and I believe I'm still the first person in the world that has developed it after birth. Most of the not so much developed it after birth. I was born with it, but the symptoms didn't show up until those about six hours after birth normally just being born this is too traumatic for our, our skin to handle so we're born without skin on our legs or our body or arms or whatever parts may be worst affected so, yeah for me to survive those first few hours and then start to develop the blisters as something that has never been heard of before and then from that point on my skin basically started to disintegrate and break down in front of my parents and my the doctor's eyes the nursing staff eyes but as I said, within 12 months, I, I had very little skin on my face. I've still got all the scar tissue all around the edge of my face. There was no skin on my face. There was very little skin on my back and on my torso. And, um, but my arms and legs were still reasonably unaffected. And then as time progressed, my skin started to break down on my legs and my feet and my arms and um, just about the rest of my body. So it's been a pretty amazing journey to go properly being diagnosed after a uh, 12 months to then being given a life expectancy no more than two to four years. By that stage, the medical world said after that period of time, the pain would be too intense because of how badly my skin was being affected. They politely, as, as best as they could, said to my parents, it might be best to just go home and enjoy what brief period of time they had with me because there'd be no chance of being able to survive unless I was so heavily medicated that you wouldn't be able to have any sort of quality of life. You'd just be lying in the hospital bed waiting for the pain and the skin to become too bad and too severe and then eventually pass away and the sort of medical world said that would probably be better if it happened sooner rather than later because the outlook was just not going to be great at all but here I am now almost 44 years later and in some of the best best health and shape of my life.
1: Sorry what was the difference on you said it was a rare condition and obviously one of potentially one of the first people ever to Survive at those early stages. Did they do anything different in those early stages that perhaps you would do in other circumstances? Like what? What perhaps was a reason for you to be that anomaly?
2: I think I'm just too stubborn to give up. Basically, I'm <laughs> just. I've got, if you get to know me, I've got to really. Once I set my mind to something, I've got a really determined, stubborn streak about me. But um, I think the biggest thing was that still to this day, treatment wise is very much a case by case and something that has to be done and modified for each individual person. There's about 340 people in Australia now living with various degrees from super severe like myself through to very mild forms. If you saw them, you might think they've got like a sunburn type um, redness about their skin or look as though they've just got a severe case of eczema or something like that. So it's huge degrees and how severe and how fragile their skin is, but I think the biggest thing for me and growing up for those first few years was being adaptable. My parents were super aware at adapting and changing Every treatment that was suggested to work out, Okay, Dean's skin is super sensitive here, but not so much here. So we can take what might be working for somebody with a severe burn, for instance, but then we'll adapt it and modify that treatment to suit Dean's skin. Because still to this day, that's the best way that that people try to treat it is as though it is a severe burn. But the way I explain it to a lot of people is, if you get a severe burn, your skin is trying to repair itself. Almost from the get-go, your skin's trying to repair itself and regenerate. Whereas mine is doing the opposite. It's usually trying to break down and get worse. So you've got, there's no definite treatment for EB because there are unfortunately so few of us in the world to get too much direct funding just for as such we take little bits from as i said the advancements they're doing with brands and the burns sort of medic dressings and treatment then we work out okay it has to be adapted this way and treated and used in a different direction so i think the biggest thing growing up that my parents did without realizing was Treating individual case me as my skin and even like my left arm different to my right arm and my left foot different to my right foot and adapting it and working out how it was rather than just blanket ruling and putting one one treatment for everything. It was really much a, a tailored thing that we did from a very young age
0: you were mentioned the different areas so do you have to keep a certain area bandaged all the time or like how does the how does that part work do you change it how often do you have to do that is sharing and things like that is that difficult for you
2: yeah definitely See, even like the water pressure on a shower i've got to be very aware of and very aware how much pressure is coming out so for me i prefer even at home i've got this set up with a bathtub so i can fill the bath and then hop into the bath and bathe that way rather than having the water pressure that can be inconsistent with showers i travel a lot these days with work and also hobbies and stuff that i have and so that means wherever i travel wherever possible uh, you have a bathtub in the hotel or the venue that i'm staying at because yeah as i said you can control how how you can fill the bath up to the certain level and have it all set to the right temperature the right sort of conditions then hop into it rather than have that sort of inconsistent water pressure that can occur but going into your question a bit more Yep. Uh, uh, Still to this day, I have no memory of uh, walking without my feet being bandaged up and protected. I had photos of when I was very young walking around barefoot without any bandages or anything on my feet, but I've got no memory of that. The way I explain it, the skin on my feet, the stepping out onto the grass just outside here, The grass would be like razor blades just going straight through the skin on my feet. My skin is on my feet, probably the most fragile part of my body these days. It would be the equivalent to a tissue or tissue paper type strength and consistency. So my feet have to be protected and bandaged up just the right way before I'm able to walk. So that whole process from start to finish is something that i do every single morning it it takes about four to five hours every single morning to assess literally the skin on my little toe through to the skin on the top of my head working out whether it might just be as simple as using moisturizing creams or using um, medical creams that I use to keep my skin um, soft and, and working, uh, stop it from drying out, then cracking, um, if that makes sense, through to other things where I need it to dry out because it's too moist and too soft then. So you, you need to try to work out a way to harden it up a little bit, to, if that, again, w- without going into too many technical side of things. But then through to Every day I've got the scalpel and the needles and everything with me and it's about isolating new wounds that will start to develop just by basically me being alive today. Anything from picking up a water bottle to have a drink could cause a tiny bit too much friction today on my hands that was perfectly fine yesterday but today my skin and my hands will react slightly differently so you'll need to use the needles or scalpel to cut away the wounds or the blisters because the way my skin works is there's no anchors that hold my skin together so I there is, again it's, we're getting really complicated the easiest way I explain it is it's almost like a if you see like in the desert, when there's rain and how a, a sort of a stream forms, you know, there'll be a, a bit of water running and it'll link, it'll find the next little bit of water and it'll link up and, and spread and create a little stream and create a riverbed with that's sort of how my skin works if there's a weak area then the little blister that might be just under the surface will just keep moving through the surface because there's no anchors to hold my, hold all the... I think we've got seven or ten layers of skin, if my memory serves correctly. There's no binding anchors to hold all that skin together. So just moving my arm and straightening it like that means there'll be little creases in my skin that a bit of fluid or a bit of... A bit of a blister will link up with another bit and spread and get bigger. So if I don't jump onto a blister the size of a grain of rice, that will link up with another little part, and before the end, before an hour or two, a grain of rice will be ten centimeters big, mm. and then within. If If I left it till the end of the day, then it would consume my entire arm or consume my entire back or leg or whatever and just spread and keep getting worse and worse. And,
0: And it's entirely on you, as Gary was saying there, because you were one of a kind when you were born, it must have been very difficult for everyone to try and see how they could cope on the spot almost if there was no precedent before that, let's say all those learnings did you find them yourself is that just through trial and error over the 40 odd years that you've been able to manage it and do you solely look after yourself independently or has the hospitals and doctors have they been a good help or have you have to find solutions largely by yourself
2: the, the best solutions have been ones that have come largely from myself and my family. I'm really lucky that I've got a great support system now with um, nurses that come to assist me. So this morning, to be here and be with you guys this morning, my alarm was set for 330 This morning, so that allowed me to get through the five-hour process. My nurse arrived about a bit after 5.30, so I had the first two hours to assess my skin, bathe, get dressed and get ready for my nurse to arrive and then we started the process of identifying new wounds and identifying what i needed to do like i said using the needle or scalpel or just using the creams and moisturizers then bandaging my feet up and my hands up and everything to allow me to be uh, completely independent for the next like 19 or 20 hours until she's scheduled to come again tomorrow morning that process happens every single day and yeah, definitely the medical world has been really good at offering some technical support and and, uh, operations and different procedures but the best things have come from the family support and working out what it's like to live from a day-to-day basis and what needs to happen that the medical world I I always say medical people often have the best of intentions but they still clock off at five and go home and Mm -hmm. live their normal life or whatever the case may be that when you live with it 24 hours a day it's completely different to it being a job that you're trying to help uh, so you learn to be the best at your skin and the best at your body and adapting and working out what you need to do in order to have the best quality of life basically
1: one thing it's, to me, that was at the four or five hour routine in the morning so that's so let's say you sleep seven eight hours so every single day you're spending four or five hours before you do anything
2: p- preparing yourself yeah so before i start work before when i was younger before i went to school it wasn't always uh, four to five hours when i was very young i was able when it was isolated just to my back or my face or my my feet, for instance, and less over the sort of fiddly areas of the joints and things like that. We had a bit of a routine, my family and I, where you could get through it quicker, but it still was about three to four hours um, before I went to school, before I did anything at all. And as I said, these days, it's that four to five hours now. You must have been up early for school, five o'clock, four o'clock. Yeah, like it never really... I used to always find it confusing why people would say, No, I was running late for school from a very (laughs) early age. It was a time management thing for me and my family. Like, we, you'd always have to plan, know what you were doing the next day and plan through. So, even when people would say, I, I went to bed and I read a few chapters of the book I'm like well no I still had to apply the creams and ointments before I went to bed so I couldn't turn the pages of the book. and also because of the lifestyle that I lead when I go to bed I'm mentally and physically I'm pretty exhausted so I just go to sleep straight away and then you've got that as I said three hours growing up to do that med- medical stuff in the morning so it was what do you mean? You're running around playing before school, or you you run you late for school because you were you slept in? It was always a, a military style planning in advance for me. I
0: was gonna say you're not gonna like me. I lived, I'd say, three hundred meters from my school, and without fail, I was late every day. And I used to, have to I had my French she used to hate me. She was like, "Oh Sullivan, how are you late every fucking day?" <laughs> so question how many hours sleep would you n- normally aim for and then i would imagine you have a fairly you mentioned there a little bit uh, like you must have a military-esque routine every single day do you?
2: yeah definitely it's um, on a, i usually try to turn the light off around 9 30 um, at night on a normal day my alarm set for around 4 30 4 30 issue 4 a.m something like that I figure I'm trying to get about six to seven hours every night and then because still to this day I've chosen the path of taking as little medication as possible from a pain management perspective so that means mentally I'll get a bit more fatigued because I'm Controlling yeah. the pain mentally and living living my life. After uh, after lunch, at one o'clock, I might have a 45-minute uh, nap or relaxation or something along those lines. So I'll probably get in about um, maybe a, an, hour, an hour and a half through the day of uh, zoning out completely, relaxation or just uh, chilling out in front of the t- TV, mindless. Not thinking mm. and just uh, um, having a, what I class as mentally unwinding times, uh, so to speak. So that's my normal process is aiming for around that six to seven hours, and then an hour to hour and a half through the course of the day at different stages. Yeah,
1: that, that's all. Obviously, new territory for Neil and I. That's a, diff- incredible. And one thing I'd probably lead on to then is you're born with this, obviously you're living with it now, but in between, especially childhood and going to school, how was that for you? Was I'm not going to say was it different, of course it was, but how did other school kids react or how did you, comp- things like PE or sit in classrooms, etc. how was that for you?
2: Yeah, it's it's both a really good thing and also a really bad thing. Um, if you The more you get to know me, the more, as- we've spoken about before i'm a big sports fan so i naturally gravitate towards sport of any nature whether it's even just watching it on tv or sort of interacting so growing up i think the one of the real advantages i had was living in a really small country town um meant that a lot of the people got to know me really well at the start of every school year i'd uh, explain i'd uh, be asked up on stage to explain what was happening to my skin and to me to the new students so people were not too concerned about me because you'd come to Brisbane here where I live now or you'd even go to family events where people weren't friends friends of family or friends of friends and Kids my own age would literally be terrified of me. You know, they'd they'd go running screaming at the scary person or scary monster when when I had literally had no skin on my face and I I, I admit it I looked pretty I looked very different. That was always it was always something that I I as I got older you started to become a little bit more aware of. Then growing up you. I was always going 100 mile an hour and not really that worried but as you got a little bit older you started to realise people were even adults at times were a bit scared and a bit unsure um, it was always challenging I, I feel as as I said once, once I got a bit older and started to really see how different my skin was and how much I could not keep up with you know, when I, people were in PE or in, in, during, during the lunchtime period, everyone would be outside playing sport or doing activities. And there was quite obvious disconnect that I couldn't. I was able to stay in the classroom a lot because I had to be very aware of even being outside, you know, being aware of all my surroundings to make sure a football didn't hit me. I, I've so naturally I've always had really good reflexes and so I've always been able to, if I was standing out watching somebody and a tennis ball came my way, I could always just grab it out of thin air before it hit me. But obviously if you're in a, a school sports yard where there's different sports happening, you know, little groups here and there kicking the ball around or doing something, you can't keep, keep aware of every single thing <laughs> a person running near you or, or ball coming your way. So I was lucky that I was able to stay um, in the classroom and had a protected area that I could go to. The school was really accommodating from that perspective, but it also mentally started to take a toll because you became very aware of what you could do and what you couldn't do and how much your differences were and for somebody, like I said, as sporty and as naturally focused on sport as me, that became really frustrating to see how limiting my body was and how disabling at times my body was to stop me from doing the things that I wanted to do. It must be a pretty, good, pretty good at dodgeball, mate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I said, I can just about catch anything from a mile <laughs> away. I'm an I'm expert at risk assessment when you enter into a room. I'm like, uh, yeah, there's, a, there's a small step over there that you probably didn't pick up on or there's you know, this yeah. person uh, acting like and he might have had too much to drink and you know coming around this way that you've got to be aware of or whatever the situation is.
1: You must become like hyper-aware of, again, you've mm-hmm. already mentioned your military-style lifestyle. I was thinking you must have like a sixth sense, right?
2: Yeah, I think the the survival instinct that you develop, and knowing, I think one of the biggest things is knowing what you're capable of doing. So that's the you become, like you said, hyper aware of your surroundings and your you know what, what, how how your skin is, you know, even on a daily basis. To be like, okay, I, whereas yesterday I might have just grabbed. You know, this out of with my left hand okay it's not feeling that great today so somebody's coming my way I'll, I'll block them with the right or I'll step out of the the way And yeah you become very self-survival instinct it becomes very hyper aware for sure.
0: One of the questions we normally ask this question at the beginning um, which is what does mental health mean to you but one of our other questions was what kind of toll did all this take on you and as you were saying it It was almost from birth, right? Whereas often when we ask people that question, if they've got a mental health condition, they might've only hit adulthood before they realize what's going on. Whereas you you didn't have that roadway in terms of before you got it, you had it literally from the moment you were born almost. So what was that like? Did you realize the toll at that time or do you just think this is just normality? Or did you feel like it did affect you in some way?
2: Yeah, I think it's, again, I'm lucky in the sense that to me, this is just normal life. I think I I do a lot with people struggling with different illnesses or conditions or mental health situations. And I think it's a lot harder to at times to come to terms with after you've lived for however long and whether you're illness or something and as an adult you've got that memory of what it was like growing up and and as I said living the quote-unquote sort of normal lifestyle was for me it's always been like this so I'm, I'm lucky in that sense I feel that these days I class myself as very independent and very very confident in my own skin and aware of my own limitations because i've had it from day one and i've seen what the absolute worst was when i've been bedridden unable to move unable to do everyday things now i'm living what i class as a really high quality of life and i'm aware to feel when my body's going through a a bit of a downhill patch or mentally i'm starting to struggle and i know okay here's the steps I've used in the past to improve my physical health or improve my mental health and I'm able to quickly put in place those things to get myself bouncing back really quickly there's I would say probably for the better part of 10 to 20 years now it's been just a slow uphill getting better, getting stronger, getting healthier. And I think that comes down to probably the zero to 20 years being such a huge fight and such a huge effort to get to this stage. I'm able to look back and think, yeah, I've handled much worse than when my skin's going bad or mentally I've handled much worse when it's felt like I've had the entire society or the entire Southern hemisphere against me at times. You're like okay, I can handle one or two people not being supportive of what I'm doing these days, and you're able to sort of mentally bounce bounce back really quickly because you've you've been through some real really difficult times in the past. What is it? Sorry,
1: you said you, you felt like you had the southern hemisphere against you. Have you had some negativity towards anything you've done?
2: Yeah, definitely in the past. I remember. In the early 2000s, I decided when when, uh, I had a career change and my job that I was working at in Kingaroy finished up and my job became redundant, so I decided... I didn't have a job at the time. I didn't have a lot of other things happening. I had a real great passion to move to Brisbane, and I thought I that was the perfect time to break away from the family and set myself up with the nursing support. And I live independently in Brisbane here, where I live these days. And so I moved to Brisbane it was 2001, it was, and it was just one of the worst experiences of my life because I was, again, faced with all that negativity of growing up and literally people being scared of me when I tried to go for a job. People didn't take a, even take a look at my resume. They just saw me and, okay, no, job's been filled. Or people were quite abrupt and saying, no, you wouldn't fit in this job. I remember even going for one job where the excuse was given that they said, oh, look, we noticed one of your hobbies and interests was rugby league and a lot of our staff and co-workers follow the Brisbane Lions, so they follow AFL. You wouldn't have anything to talk about at the morning tea and lunch different breaks, so you wouldn't fit the job so obvious that i was qualified for the position i knew knew the job like it was the back of my hands but there was just so many stupid roadblocks that people were putting up and it felt like i said it, it felt like the all the entire world at times was against me whenever i tried to do one thing i was met with 10 or 20 brick walls that you'd have to try to break through and um, Back then in the early 2000s, there wasn't the NDIS set up now that there is today. There wasn't the support structure now to live independently with a um, disability to be able to get the support you need to live in your own home. It was you can live at home with your parents for the rest of your life or you can move into an aged care care nursing home and just live under that sort of... Age care, mental health system where you wouldn't have any real freedom anyway, and those were the only real two options available. If you wanted to live in a little unit or a little house or set up by yourself, that it was almost looked at like, you're stupid. You need more support than just the average person we're not going to fund that and go away it's too big of a problem so these days it is a lot better I've got to admit that it's not perfect for everybody but there are so many more avenues and things in place that there just wasn't 18 20 years ago let alone going back to early years it was basically your parent and if you didn't have the family support that could support you like that You were in a lot of trouble and had to do it all basically yourself. What are you doing for work at the moment? These days, I'm a motivational speaker. My main job now is sharing my story, both on smaller stages and then on large platforms to businesses and corporations. I'm just the last two years, or uh, yeah, basically 2000, yeah, 2020. So, last three years now, just Focus solely on motivational speaking now and traveling all around to share my story, which is something that I absolutely love that I've been doing sort of part time for 20 odd years now.
1: Oh, quality, mate, that's good. I see, I seen in a video that you were working with Toyota, Toyota before that. Is that right?
2: Yeah, I was so, working with Toyota for. Just over 15 years, both oh, nice. on a nas- national level and also with a car dealership in southeast Queensland here, working in, in, in behind the scenes in the marketing and business development stuff. Yeah, which was great fun.
1: Yeah, good meeting.
0: Amazing. Yeah. Look, dare I say that you use the word inspiration because we we have used that on a podcast before with Alex, uh, who was a comedian, and um, she nearly bit her hand off because she said it's that. Yeah, porn, inspiration porn. <laughs> inspiration porn. But is the other word maybe the other way of thinking of it is I kept thinking of perspective. When I was listening to your story and I was watching your documentaries, and you really are an amazing inspiration around the, the the whole thought of perspective, right? As you were saying, people get out of bed late or they complain about the smallest things, and the amount of effort that you go to get through every day, and you got to do it all again. And rather than be bitter or have resentment about that what you've been able to do is actually completely flip its on its head and not only have you done that but you then actually use that to form how you're making a living in this world and you're then also passing that back onto the community and society so i know you're probably very proud already but you should be really proud because there's very few people in this world that have been able to come full circle on what they do most people don't like their jobs they hate their jobs they do all this where you're you're almost living the dream in that sense so it's a credit to you for that and we just want to say well done and i'm sure uh you inspire a lot of people i know we definitely felt inspired uh listening and even having you here today so yeah well done and also when I saw this as well, I was like, you've said earlier on that you compared your skin to tissue paper, yet you're a bloody weightlifter. I'm like,
2: how, how
0: do you manage that?
2: Yeah, the more you look into my life, the more it doesn't make sense at times. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, the, I was hanging out with a really good friend of mine who used to play uh, professional rugby league and uh, rugby union back in the days. He's, he's retired now, but we were hanging out and he just kept saying, it's such a pity the mental focus and the mental strength I had to go through the operations and the different daily procedures that we talked about. He said, it's such a pity we couldn't try and harness that into some sporting thing. And I I said, yeah, there's everything I've tried. My skin doesn't allow me to do very well. I could play table tennis pretty well, just holding the bat and standing for Short periods of time, and I could do very little short bursts of energy. And he and we were talking, and he said, It's a pity there wasn't any way you could do like push ups. And I said, Who knows if I had enough pillows or I tried it on a bed or something, maybe I could. So that first day, we got together and we just tried in his lounge room using pillows and cushions to support my hands. And it turned out I could do. 50 pushups in one go and he'd stand there and he'd be like how on earth can you do that and so the different things we learned as growing up because we're my family we never had the best of anything like we we were fine. Don't get me wrong, but we um, just had a basic wheelchair that I'd get pushed around in. Um, from time to time, when my feet and my legs were really bad, and so when I when we we're in a shopping centre and you know, I wanted to get somewhere, I'd have to push myself around in the wheelchair. So the the old fashioned wheelchairs that were quite heavy, you'd push around in. Then we worked out, you know, talking to my my family, my parents would say, when you were very young. We couldn't ever pick you up as a baby or as a kid because the skin—it was too difficult to, you know, touch and pick pick me up as a child. So my parents said we'd lean over a bit and sort of lean forward, and I'd just climb up onto their back like like a koala, you know, getting a piggyback almost kind of thing, and I'd just hold myself on their shoulders with my arms or. Um, pulled myself up onto their back and just support myself naturally with my arms. So they said there was always this sort of underlying element of strength, but my skin was too fragile, as we said, to do anything. And then, as we said, hanging out with Grad, all of a sudden I, we worked out that really short bursts of energy I could do using pillows and cushions to support my hands or support my feet. And then a couple of days later, he just said we're here it was at the broncos gym set up here in brisbane here and he said he said we're here at the broncos gym he said look there's no one around he made sure everyone cleared the room and he said if you want to try he said oh, no i'm not going to let any weight fall on it's a safe environment that i had mm-hmm. risk assessed a hundred times before and he said so if you want to have a go, nothing's going to get near you and damage you. We could see what you can do. And so that first day in the gym with Brad's assistance, I lifted my body weight on the bench press and we sat down and worked out that again, my skin is super fragile, but the biggest problem with my skin is for instance, grabbing hold of the water bottle and holding it and twisting it to open the lid or yeah, Exactly. Even a a milk uh, carton, a two-litre bottle of milk, it's the slight little... Ed- serrated edges that you use to grip, that, that movement is just too difficult for my skin there's um, no anchors that hold my skin together like we said earlier but in the gym using the rubber bands, and the resistance you've just got the rubber bands there that you're pushing out and against yourself you're not really gripping and twisting using dumbbells and things like that, Free the old fashioned free weights that a lot of people stay away from, but there's still a reason why the professional athletes the, at the Brisbane Broncos still to this day use the old fashioned free weights. They don't mm. use the modern, too much of the modern uh, equipment. It's still very much the old fashioned weights because that you can isolate just the exact area that you're wanting to use, and you can. there's very little extended things that can go wrong with just the old-fashioned weights and so doing that type of thing just really short sharp bursts of energy light, lightweight then slowly increasing it little by little allowed me to still to this day be one of the strongest in the world Um, whether you're physically disabled or able-bodied from a purely based on a kilo to kilo basis I'm up there as one of the strongest in the world to be able to bench press well over double my body weight
0: you have to be because 50 press-ups from zero let's say from not doing it ever before is huge I could do 50 press-ups if I was working on it for months and months on end or even chest pressing I'm 85 kilos to chest press 85 kilos, I'm, I have to be fit. To, like, 85
1: like, kilos? you kidding me? 85 kilos. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'd, yeah, I'd have to be bulking up a lot to do that. Like, I do 60, 70 kilos. I do three sets. I'm I'm pretty cooked. So as you were saying, you have to have that inherent strength in you to be able to do that. And I think I read somewhere, I don't know, maybe you correct me wrong, that your max capacity, you were doing 205% of your own body weight.
2: Yeah. So. On a regular basis now, I'm uh, lifting 150 kilos now, which is just based just under 200% of my body weight. So at my peak, wow. I was lifting um, my body. I put on a little bit over the last couple of years. Like We that. all have. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's my excuse anyway and now I'm within, still lifting 150 but I'm a bit below the, the double my body weight ratio now so the goal is to get back there though for sure What about outside that bench press? Is there anything else you, you lift
1: wise? Are you doing any other exercises that feel comfortable for you based on your skin?
2: Yeah I do um, bench press is what I focus on the most and where, where I what I enjoy the most but I do a lot just with the treadmill to keep my leg strength and my movement happening in my legs. Because again, we're coming into the Brisbane summer where it gets very hot for me. So I've got to be super aware of how much my body, how much sweat and moisture I get on my skin, because just that can can wear down the top layer Mm. of my skin and create skin issues. So I've got to keep my body temperature under control so air conditioning and sort of climate control for the next sort of five to six months is very crucial from my perspective so I'll do more treadmill exercise around, I'll do some just like I said with the dumbbells and different core movements and I'll use the, um, the five to ten kilo sand weights that I can do sit-ups and things yeah. like that there so you don't have that Direct weight on one part of your body. You've got the sand weights that you can spread evenly and hold in your arms and do different things.
0: What about swimming, Dean? Is that something swimming, that you can?
2: Swimming, it would be great, except for the fact that then I've got to go through that uh, three hours or four hours to redo the bandages ah. uh, again. So, mm. Swimming is something that would work really good, but only ever been in the pool a handful of times because that process just becomes too difficult to redo the bandages again and go through that process again are, to Are
1: you able to go on this might sound like a basic question, but are you, are you able to go on the beach with the sand or in the seawater?
2: I've only been in the on the beach I have been on the beach a couple of times, but I've only been in the seawater about twice, for memory. Because yeah, the grains of sand get too difficult to get caught in yeah. the, especially mm. the open wounds that I had. I've got them, like I said, bandaged up to protect my feet, but you can't stop the sands of gra- sand, the sands from getting in yeah. just about <laughs> everywhere. So that becomes quite painful and quite difficult then if they get into open wounds, for
1: sure. We spoke a lot about the physical side of things. Obviously, as a mental health podcast, and we get the gist of the biggest thing that stands out is the motivation. Probably anyone who listens to your story is going to feel like, again, like Sully said, perspective like, you do live in life a very cool way, considering the circumstances you've been presented, the cards you've been dealt. From a mental health perspective, One thing that is definitely apparent is you you do seem to turn any negative into a positive. Is there any sort of framework you use in your own mind to do that, or is it something you just feel like you've learned over years and years of having to do it?
2: Yeah, I think it's um, definitely self-learned is the biggest thing for me. I I try to take um, as much time. It can vary from day to day, feeling okay, I need to mentally, you know, Take a bit more time today to focus on my physical health but also the mental side of keeping things the balance and keeping things under control and I find like just being able to reflect be self-aware be aware of your like where you're wanting your life to head where what what direction it's taking at the time and mentally being able to adjust. It's not not so much about controlling everything because in life you can't control every part of life, but just being able to control the controllable parts this week and then not worrying too much about that sort of uncontrollable elements and those sort of bigger pictures. But taking the time, whether it's, as I said, it might only be like five or 10 minutes in the morning and at night to sort of get your head around what you've achieved today, what you've done, get some something find something even in the dark times that you can take a bit of i survived i'm here to survive to see the next day take something that you can draw a little bit of inspiration from or a little bit of I, I didn't think I'd be, I, my, my skin wasn't feeling great, but I was still able to go into the gym and took took the weight down to half what I thought, but I was still able to get that endorphins and get that feeling of achievement rather than just sitting back and letting the day slip by or might just be um, kept up with all my email correspondence at any given time. I'll, I'll get if one of my youtube clips has gone around my birthday for instance a couple of the companies replay some of my past stories and i might get you know a hundred or more emails come through over the course of a day or so and just been like okay i've actually responded to as many as i can today and i've achieved something and getting back to those people and or i have ticked off i've completed that checklist and i've done something having that sort of mental ability to not get overawed by the bigger by situations i think being able to keep calm keep uh, self-balanced and self-aware of what direction your life is heading in i think those are some of the biggest keys that i've learned I think the key i
1: think the key thing there a message we've heard a lot is just focus on what you can control a lot of things you just can't control, so why waste the mental yeah, energy exactly. on things you can't control? So, yeah, that's a common theme from a lot of guests we get. I think that is a good principle. Easier said than done, of course, but it's a solid principle to, to go. I think that's where most most of our stress comes from or worries mental health comes from. Things and I, we actually think all,
2: I think it's also about being aware of of your environment, like we were saying earlier, from a health and skin perspective, but then also from a mental health side of things and being like you know I'm, I'm watching a bit too much of the bad stuff that's happening in the world let's click it over to a comedy and just have a yeah. laugh for a little bit and you know yeah. you can become too aware of the dramas that's happening in the world at times you know whether it's social media or whether it's the mainstream news or whatever the case may be that that can become too much and i think being self-aware and both in yourself and in your situation just to be like you know what yes it's good to be aware of current events and current news but it's time to turn off and just have, yeah. have a laugh at something or go into the gym and just live life you can't worry about every every world event and every situation that is like we were saying is completely out of your control most of the time
0: Mm. yeah a suit, a horrible- what you have shown is unbelievable resilience as gary mentioned in terms of on one hand yeah the cards you've been dealt but then what i love about your story as well is how you, again the, how you flip the narrative and, and i've been delving into this a lot as well even outside of um, researching yourself about even all of us being on this earth right now no matter what our condition is we are a miracle we're one in it the, the statistics are just crazy to think that we were the ones that made it this far and then even in your scenario with your condition those statistics would even be greater for you and you've survived it, and you've come through it when you think about it in that sense and it's the same with stress as gary was saying when you have that top-down view of of all our situation we're just blips in a town in a country on planet earth in the galaxy it it can alleviate some of the stresses that you're going through on a daily basis that there's bigger things at play and i think that's certainly resonates with me when I think of your story of how you've been able to do that and and, and and how it's been a positive because look at what you're doing with your life right now and and giving so much back to others to learn and, and I'm sure everyone that's listened to the episode today will learn a lot even from your own story and that's a nice little segue into probably the, the last little section which is around media and TV you've won awards you've carried Olympic torches before, you've been on radio, you've written articles, you've obviously used media very well over the last. And I even look at your website. It was there's archives dating back to you know 2015 and 16. So this is not a new thing. You've been yeah. doing this for some time. What's next for Dean? Where does the media play a role in this? Where do you think this can grow on to something even bigger or is global domination or do you want to get your story out all across the world? Like, what's the big plans for you going forward?
2: Yeah, just recently there's been talk of a book and different sort of avenues along those lines, which is um, something that I never thought would happen. It's I, I'm as we were saying, I'm very aware that my story is unique, and yep, it's something that a lot of people draw a lot of inspiration and i make a living out of being a motivational speaker these days but growing up i never thought there was anything special about the way i lived my life it was just my life that like i said from day one had to get up and do the medical stuff if i wanted to get out and play with my sister or my cousins or my relatives you had to do the hard yards before you could have the fun times and it was just normal so it it wasn't until I, i got older and i'm yeah I guess my outlook and my take on things is pretty unique a lot of people like we're saying get dragged down by what is insignificant in a lot of situations but it's significant to those people that are dealing with it at the time so being able to share my story and being able to actually connect with people is something that I really love doing the media side of things it's great to raise the awareness so other kids don't have as difficult a path growing up as what i might have had other times it's just about sharing my story and hopefully connecting with someone who's dealing with a a major issue in their life and they're able to hopefully take a little bit of what i said and adapt it to their life so using the media i think the biggest thing for me is just being me it's the number one. Thing that I've got from going right back to before I started this crazy journey as a motivational speaker, when I was just in Kingaroy, working in the local radio station or working in the car dealership, it's just what is what you get. I'm not adapting Mm. to to be anything more than what I am. There's even in my the motivational speeches that I do, I can jump from talking to the federal government and doing lectures with the government and meeting with big big decision makers a day later I'm talking at a drug and alcohol rehab clinic and the next day I'm talking at a primary school that are learning about disabilities and the story it's different because it's catered to every age group and every demographic so I'm not talking Mm. government figures to primary school kids or anything like that but it's still 100% my story it's not glossed over to be anything other than than me like we're doing right now having a chat connecting with you guys and um, sharing my story it's not a a polished tv show or a polished performance that that you'll see the same thing 10 times you know every story is different but it's all based on my life and just being able to connect with the media. I've done media things where at times they've looked for the sensationalistic side and they've looked for the really the negative side and I'm like mm. nah, we're not doing that. We're turning it to be a Real. true story yeah, and yeah. yeah just me and you know they've been affected by that at times because they looked for the sensationalistic headlines and yeah. and I'm like nah go. Close the door on that, you know, and and I hadn't done an entire interview, done some of the pre stuff. Then they have come back in wanting to ask a few more questions, and they've scrapped the whole thing. and oh, well. it, It's been frustrating to at times to spend four or five days doing everything, getting right up, and then they've come in and they've wanted to tr- mm. twist it into something sensationalistic, and I've just said, "No, what you, what my story." Is what it is, and they've scrapped the story at the last minute. You know, yeah, some yeah. major TV networks, others have taken it and loved it, and it's you know, still to this day. I interact with those people and have a really good rapport with those journalists and those TV side of things. To me, it's all about being real. It's all about connecting. I think people can see through when it's fake and yeah. when it's made for Hollywood or made for whatever the case may be. When it's not real. There's to me, there's no point. So, yeah. you know, you guys asked me to come along today i thrilled to be here and share my story with you guys. The next event is in a couple of weeks time where I'll be emceeing and hosting International Day for People with Disabilities, but it will still feel like you and I talking today. It's not going to yeah. be a polished yeah, yeah. You know, script. It's not going to be a rehearsed thing. It's going to be me sharing my story, doing, having well, fun.
0: Well, you're doing a very good job and it's very very easy to listen to as well. And it is very authentic, which comes across in beams. and. Yeah, I was just thinking, hopefully no one heckles you going, I heard that joke of that other thing that he did a few months ago.
2: <laughs> He's done that <laughs> one before. <laughs> I'll, I'll make them do some push-ups or something on stage <laughs> then.
0: <laughs> if anyone does one, all you need to do is Google and you'll find so much about you. But your documentary, you've been in two and, and In the Open is was one that's had over, I think, two million hits. and. Even if you watch that, yeah. it's exactly as you explain it. There's no frills and spills about it. It's just you sharing your story, and it, it's beautifully put together. So we'd highly recommend people, if they want to know more about Dean, that you can uh, find it there. And the other documentary, is that on YouTube as well?
2: Yeah, there's I think there's um, two or three now on YouTube. And if you jump on my social media sites, they, um, I'm on just about all of them these days. You'll find links to different things that's happening now or in the past. And that, like you said, there's heaps of different stories, whether it's made documentaries or print stuff that's happened over the years, for sure.
0: What's the best email address and what's your Instagram handle if people do want to book you in or learn more?
2: Yep. So you can jump on my website, which is just deanclifford.com. So it's just my name, pretty simple. My Instagram handle is it's Dan Unfortunately, somebody else stole the Dan Clifford name um, <laughs> before, before I got on to all that. So it's I just ITS, uh, Dan Clifford. But as I said, if you just do a Google search, I'm pretty easy to find on, online these days.
0: Have you ever heard the Puff Daddy story on Twitter? So he used to be called Puff Daddy, and then he changed his name to P. Diddy. And then he was P Diddy for a few years and then he re-went back to Puff Daddy and when he went back someone had gone in and taken all the social media accounts and then he got into this Twitter really? warfare, he got into this Twitter warfare with this guy going, I'm the real Puff Daddy, give me back my thing and then the guy was like taking the piss out of him going, you're not, you know. <laughs>
2: Yes. so funny i love some of the things people do on social media it's way more creative than i I, I can come up with yeah so the
0: last section dean that we do is a quick fire questions when we first started is we thought we the idea was you'd answer in 30 seconds and it never goes that way so don't feel under too much pressure but i'll kick off so where do you think the world is out of 10 in regard to mental health awareness
2: awareness wise I think people are very aware but actually putting it into practice I don't think people are very good at all so I would say with the aware wise we're probably a 10 actually putting it into practice we might be around a four I reckon
0: Mm, that's very good yeah we haven't had that thought before but we totally agree and then where are you out of 10 in regard to your own mental health right now
2: I think I'm uh, very happy and content with where things are at. So I'd probably put myself a high number. I I don't like to ever say 10 out of 10, but we'll, we'll put myself up in the high category for sure.
0: Nice, nice. And then the last one is if you could recommend just one thing that people could do each day to improve their own mental health, what would that be?
2: I think being able to reflect and take on board the good things that you did through the day and also the bad things at times. I think too often people gloss over whether they're too busy and or, or think they're too busy, but I think everybody can take time to pause, whether it's morning and night, as I, I I quite often do it at least twice a day. Sometimes once a day is all you need, but being able to pause and reflect and think, I actually might have dropped the ball here and may not have been the best at dealing with whatever situation it might be. I, I don't know. Or yep, I nailed that and I, I can learn, make sure I do that in the future to to continue that trend. But just being that having actually giving yourself that time to stop and at times be harsh on yourself, but be harsh in a way that you can learn from and, and take on board okay that may not have been the best at reacting to this situation or this environment i'm gonna try to put in these steps if that ever arises again in the future but then also yep i I think i did pretty good in again whatever situation it might have been so having that self-awareness to be your own worst critic but also you're praising yourself I think people quite often skip over those points mm. a lot whether it's negative or positive they often don't give themselves enough praise and at times don't give themselves enough slap over the knuckles and think you, you can't drop the ball there you could do do better so I think people try to live in that sort of middle ground at times instead of being without as i said you don't have to be harsh on yourself but being uh, able to think i don't think i was the best in this situation here's the steps i'm going to use to be better and then also praise yourself when the opportunity comes because no one else will (laughs) a lot of the time so you've got to give yourself a pat on the back when you're doing good as well 100 i agree
0: and we have the olympics are coming to brisbane in what is it nine years (laughs) any plans for that or (laughs)
2: Yeah, like I've still got the torch there. You can see it in the background oh, wow. there. I've still got the oh, torch yeah. um, with me. It's in my office here. It Tax pride in place. And yeah, I would love to think that I would be involved in that in some capacity in 2032. It's it was a huge achievement for me to be able to get out of the wheelchair. It was one of the catalysts for how I started to get in physically fit and get strong enough to be able to walk was having that Olympic torch timeframe set in stone of when I was... When I found out I was one of the ones selected to walk with the torch. And so, yeah, the, I love, as I said earlier, love any sport. If I'm not involved in the Olympics in some capacity, I'll definitely be attending as many things as I can when it comes to Brisbane, for sure. Yeah. Cannot, can,
0: cannot wait. Cannot wait for I, I've only been in Brisbane a couple of months, but my wife's from Brisbane. So I've been here for many times. And uh, when people say, What's Brisbane like? The first thing you say, The Olympics are coming but in 9 years the to say ages But yeah. well, everyone it's, keeps saying the it olympics will be days.
2: here in no time
0: though. yeah it'll be here in no time but there's a lot i have been loving brisbane there's a lot going on here even outside of the olympics it's a pretty cool place to be so we appreciate you getting up extra early this morning <laughs> i thought i got up early at about 5 but my kid but yeah 3 3:30 that's uh, that's doing well so credit to you and we really appreciate your time mate no
2: worries it's been great fun chatting to you both Yeah, thanks, Dean, mate. Top man. Have a great weekend, Dean. All right, see
0: you soon. Bye bye. Bye. See you. See you later, mate. Thank you.